in what should be a very exciting piece of news for the owners of uh, car wrapping services, fun pun named uh, hair salons, and uh, those places where you put your feet into like a little bowl of fish and they eat the dead skin off. Uh, all non-essential businesses are set to open again in the UK on June 15th at only the cost of tens of thousands of lives. So congratulations, everybody. We became Jonestown. I'm so excited. Uh, I, 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 so, I so badly need to pick up some like crystals. Um, yeah. and, you know, people, people don't appreciate how vital that is, that you need to be able to like, go to like, past times on the high street and buy like, a clock that's like, made of fake antiqued bronze, and then you yeah. kill everybody that you, go, you see on the way there and back. Listen, mate, it's really simple. The lockdown comes off. Go down Gates to buy me new Ford Focus RS. Pop down Cuts 22 to get the remainder of the hair that just sort of uh, longingly clings to the back of my head shaved off. And then uh, go down to the uh, fish eating the skin off your feet place to let uh, Darren Grimes eat the skin off my feet. Simple as. (laughs) (laughs) I, I I, for one, am incredibly excited to go back to like uh, Ryman's the stationer to get pun cards for all of my family, wishing them a happy end of lockdown and also <laughs> condolences. I'm just really excited to like be vibing with my boys in the escape room. That's true. Yeah, all, all of us that. have invested hundreds. <laughs> all of us have invested hundreds of thousands of pounds in escape rooms, and we're just going to casually mention that on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> so hey, mm. from Trash Future to Bali Ballerson, congrats on reopening. <laughs> And oh, then yeah. the theme song can come in there. Good cold open, everyone. Really strong. I'm really, really, oh, really hitting your marks today, lads. Yeah. <laughs> we can okay. see that through into a top second half performance. <laughs> <laughs> the inside of Riley's head does look like the tactics screen in Football Manager, where you just like click on a player and you just go encourage, and it just like they get a little boost to all of their stats. <laughs> theme song now. Well, however Nate chooses to cut that, welcome welcome to Trash Future, everybody. Uh, It's the bonus episode that you've been waiting for. Uh, You got your boners ready. Man, when I try to do the bonus voice, it just ends up sounding like Trump, and I just end up saying the bonus, the bonus. Oh, incredibly, bonus. we've been listen, folks. The bonus. We've been looking into it very strongly. We've been looking into <laughs> that. It's going to be the an episode. episode. We doubled it. We doubled it. The episode uh, is going to be very good. <laughs> yeah. So, welcome to the bonus episode. It's the bonus zone. Uh, it's uh, me, Riley. I'm podcasting for you from an undisclosed location. I am joined. Uh, by Alice, also in an undisclosed, more northerly location. What's up? Yeah, in a in a more northerly style latitude. Yeah, uh, I'm joined additionally by Milo, undisclosed location. Hello. Yes, uh, in in the exact voice of the banker from The Simpsons. Ah, it's hot today. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Twenty eight <laughs> degrees in the Russian Arctic today. By the way. Yeah. Uh, Hussein nice. joining us from the Russian Arctic, getting a tan. <laughs> I mean, I don't know whether, like, I'm, I, I was going to say I'm in the car on the way to Durham because I've heard so much about Castle College, Durham, and how, in many ways, mm. it's actually the upmarket version of Christ College, Cambridge. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> the same right. really needs an eye test. Many, many people have, many people have said this. Many, 
Many, many are saying that the that the eye testing department at Durham is actually better than both Oxford and Cambridge. Um, <laughs> so if you're really interested in getting your eyes tested and not just getting some prestigious diploma for having good vision, then you should drive there and endanger your family and uh, everyone there. Oh, you um, go to the opticians. That's cute. I go to the doptricians. <laughs> uh, <laughs> <What>? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, it was a really attenuated Oxbridge to Oxbridge joke. I didn't. I didn't I did not know what our line was going to be on this. I'm glad we found that it's this one several minutes into the episode. And mm. uh, we are very pleased to be joined all the way from from Australia, uh, podcasting with us while eating a bunning snag. Uh, it is uh, Jathan Sadowski, an ac- academic in the field of technology and author of several fine books, which you should purchase and will be linked in the description. Jathan, how are you doing? Uh, you you disclosed my location. I mean, at least to a country. Yes, oh, you don't know me already, Riley. That's true. Yeah, I, I just you, love the idea of Riley playing podcast manager, just hammering the introduce guest button, and it's just it's not yeah. taking. Don't worry, Jason. There's no. Don't underestimate our listeners. They could hear the kangaroos on the recording. They would have been yeah. tracking you down through star charts already. <laughs> uh, so. Very excited for Jathan to tell uh, Eric Schmidt from Google to rack off my city Hmm. Uh, because uh, we are going to be talking all about uh, smart cities and the digitization of the urban space by the three same assholes who keep fucking everything else up across the world. Um, And Jathan, this is kind of your area of specialty. Yeah, I mean, I've... I feel like I got in on the smart city game as a hipster, like way before it was cool, before everyone was writing about it and talking about it. Mm. Uh, but 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 you're totally right. It's this. It's like the same group of assholes that have been doing this since the very beginning, and they just wheel themselves out again and again and again with some somehow a new idea, a new a new vision of what the city's going to look like. Mm. And somehow it always involves uh, everything being so optimized and just in time and automated and hands off that nothing is ever the same when you look at it twice. Mm. The sidewalk becomes a patio, the patio becomes a motorway, the bin becomes a phone booth, becomes a bin, becomes a toilet. Y- you think and- this is an exaggeration, and it's not. Like, I highly encourage yeah. you to listen to the episode to which this is as a companion piece of sorts, where yeah. we had Justin Rosniak, uh, my my co-podcaster from one that, Well, There's Your Problem, Do Not Eat, on. We talked about sidewalk labs, we talked about this happening, where they were going to mm. like move the city around you. Mm. Awesome. A Futurama shit. It's like Optimus Prime was an urban planner. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. Oh hell yeah. So, I, I'm I'm reminded of that of of the of the, the phrase all that is solid melts into air, except in this case it's all that is solid is optimized around cheaper, more efficient bin collection. Hmm. Um, I went with a Mao thing. I went with like everything in heaven is under chaos, the urban planning is excellent. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Every, everything can be turned into a pig iron furnace at a moment's notice. <laughs> That's right. Um, so, in in the in the spirit of starting with some current events and sort of funneling out into some more broad conceptions of reminding ourselves how to think of technology as materialists, um, how the and what the future might hold for smart cities and more importantly resistance against them, uh, let's all get a big fat F in the chat for Sidewalk Labs, which officially closed its doors uh, just this month. 
Cue the Paul Bears music and cut to me and the crew dancing over the coffin of Sidewalk Labs. <laughs> That's right. Um, so well, who will run all the lab? experiments on the sidewalks now that they're gone? Though you know, these yeah. are the big questions. <laughs> we were all. Right. De- we, this is hauntology, right? We were denied a future where we could have been walking down the sidewalk and just like uh, a tram that was automated carrying a bunch of Amazon packages mulches us instantly. Mm. Well, due to right. a patent dispute, they went bankrupt because they were no longer able to extract, you know, kind of royalties from everyone using sidewalks, which they invented. Yeah, of course. <laughs> I'm, I'm stamping uh, ontology on my Trash Future bingo card pretty early in the game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so, uh, that is a... That is the hauntology stamp. That is the mentioning the bingo card stamp. And you can use your red ink instead of your green ink because the guest mentioned the bingo card. So um, for everyone keeping score at home, uh, note that down. And the bingo so, card is, in a way, hauntology. We are literally, at some point, going to have to print bingo cards for people, aren't we? Oh, yeah, that's going to be fun. Um, so I've got, but before we sort of charge on with any more ludicrousness, I, I've got some information here about Sidewalk Labs. Just to refresh your memory, everybody, uh, Sidewalk Labs was this, uh, and Jathan, I'm sure you can fill in the gaps here, but it was this project by Google where they were going to do a quote-unquote public-private partnership with the city of Toronto, where Toronto was essentially going to give them a bunch of prime waterfront real estate for Google to plug a bunch of sensors in so they could like create a neighborhood where they capture all of the data produced by everyone doing anything uh, and then be get, build, see what kind of products they could build on that platform. Does that sort of capture it or I'm missing something? Yeah, yeah. They, so they talked about it as building a neighborhood from the internet up or talked about it as a kind <sighs> of uh, the neighborhood as an urban innovation platform. And, and their proposal, I mean, oh, as these things always people. do. Yeah, yeah. So, but it really is this this kind of like apotheosis of seeing the city as a digital platform and treating it in that exact way, right? Where it needs to be completely uh, instrumented, censored. It needs to work to scale. So, it, it is all of that. That was their whole proposal. Mm. And so then, what they what they've now said, right? They've said, as unprecedented economic uncertainty has set in around the world and in, Tor- in the Toronto real estate market, because don't forget, anytime a quote-unquote tech company does anything to do with real estate, it's just a real estate investment. Uh, mm-hmm. It has become too difficult to make the project financially viable without sacrificing core parts of the plan. It ne- never stopped them before, but I guess, <laughs> good. Yeah, we own particular to support a climate this small. we owe particular thanks to everyone at waterfront toronto for their efforts who have worked tirelessly alongside us to shape keyside in the best interests of the city we would also like to extend our sincere (laughs) (laughs) we would also like to extend our sincere appreciation to uh johnny sack who's paving union really uh, (laughs) (laughs) uh to the devoted public servants at all three levels of government who were involved in this project and their willingness to pursue big ideas while always looking out for the public good Oh, was huh. I supposed to declare the no-show job they gave me? Is that a conflict <laughs> yes. of interest? So basically what they've said is Google has abandoned this project because in these times of economic uncertainty, one of the richest corporations in the world can't take the risk on doing this. Now, what actually happened is something else, right, Jathan? Yeah, I mean, from the very beginning, the moment it was announced in October of 2017, there was just like this 
total sustained public op- opposition, right? You had a lot of organizing, a lot of activism by local kind of civic leaders, but particularly by people like Bianca Wiley, um, who were there really kind of calling the bluff on this democratic public relations game that they were playing, you know, showing up to every single meeting, asking questions, requesting documents, just like actually engaging with the company rather than letting them do this public relations ploy. Um, and, and, and they saw that as like this huge offense. They were totally taken aback by the idea that the people that actually live in a city would care what happens in that city. Hmm. Hmm. And, there was this sustained public opposition at almost every stage, partly because all, partly because what Google was going to do, right, is they were going to say, yeah, what we're offering you is we're going to say your bin collection won't change, but it will be way cheaper. <laughs> and what we're going Sounds to take good. from you is all of your information on everywhere you are and everything you do at any time, all the time. And we're, we're going to go through the garbage, but like uh, it, it will remain fundamentally the same. And yeah, we're just going to build so an effigy this- out of you using your toenail clippings. It's not a big deal. <laughs> yeah, why are you being weird about this? Don't be weird so, about this. So there was sustained public opposition, but also I and that's so. There's the the official Google story is oh sorry COVID. The real story is it got scuppered because it was opposed every single step of the way by dedicated activists who devoted their lives to like not letting Google fuck with them. But I've got a third explanation as well. And Jay, that I think I've spoken about this with you briefly, which is that I actually think that all of the smart city projects up until 5G becomes ubiquitous are basically just ways for big tech companies to try to scam uh, public investment and venture capital because without 5G you can't really have that kind of sensor infrastructure yeah, and you just can't, minute computing. You can't turn everyone trans. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I think that's exactly right though, that the just simply the technical infrastructure is not in place for a lot of what right now is just vaporware, right? It's it's like consulting services and vaporware. That's what these companies are selling um, because they just don't have to vibe. Yeah, it's a vibe. It is. It's it's a it's a smart city vibe, and because they don't have the technology to turn that vibe into reality. So what what you're saying is that the people who are setting fire to five G towers, uh, in, in order to stop them from turning the frogs trans or whatever, uh, are inadvertently and for the wrong reasons, uh, greatly hindering Google going through their garbage. <laughs> I, I I maintain a, uh, a, a walking a very thin line on on the uh, people burning down five G towers. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm kind of like my 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 line on it is like I, I it's insane, but also at least there's some energy. Uh, say what you like about the tenets of burning down a five G tower, at least it's praxis of some kind. It's really hard to to blame him in a sense because this goes completely back to that question. Of, of the kind of democratic public opposition, right? Because you see this completely anti-democratic technology, this complete like oligarchy of tech elites ramming it down people's throat, calling it progress. Um, and people are like totally, they feel disempowered. They feel disconnected from all of this. And so that's going to cause for a lot of people just acquiescence, but on the fringe, it's going to cause some kind of like violent, anxious outburst, right? And and that's going to look like burning down 5G towers. 
It's one of these things, right, where all of the sort of wacko, dangerous conspiracy theories, like, they don't arise from nothing. Like, like the, the, the like QAnon is a conspiracy about a, like, you know, global ring of pedophiles that happens to have emerged, like, in the same couple of years that a global ring of pedophiles, <laughs> of elite pedophiles, <laughs> is uncovered, right? Like, huh. the, the smart, the 5G uh, towers, you know, you know, turn your cancer is gay or whatever, like... <laughs> That also is <laughs> completely bonkers. But again, like it's ba- it's you can see how it's connected to this idea that we we are be- we are having these things uh, imposed upon us, and sort of the the normal channels of being able to dissent against them are sort of not open. Right. Yeah, so- like, I did not mind having this cancer inside me until I was informed that the cancer <laughs> was in fact a dude, and so this is actually gay. <laughs> <laughs> Fellas, is, is it gay to have a tumor? It's literally a dude inside you. There's a tumor in my ass. It's making me a gay man. Uh, so, uh, Hussein, what's uh, what do you what do you think about this so far? What uh, are tu- like? Does it having a tumor make you gay? I mean, no. no. I mean, I know. Give us it. Tell us it straight. <laughs> no, no. I mean, I mean, yeah. Like, uh, you know, um, it's sort of. I have more questions than anything else. Like, I really want to talk about the bin situation because, um, you know, I I live in one of, one of those places where we still have like bin guys, like bin men, um, and people you know, very, yeah. And I mean, like, you know, I I, I think a lot people of have been people have been like that's that's like the correct term. But also, we have like we have an Amazon center that's like been built just like not that far away from me, and I think we're having like a Google center too. So my area of my undisclosed location is like very much becoming a mini smart town within a smart city. And there are like lots of these questions about what's going to happen. You know, and this is also like a fairly poor area of London. Like what's going to happen to like, you know, especially post coronavirus, like what's going to happen to like working class people who like for these jobs are like really important to kind of sustain the economy, right? Or like sustain like the community rather than the economy, I guess yeah. we'll talk about that later on. Um, I, I, if I had to guess, probably a bunch of good stuff. Right. I mean, like it might, I mean, it might just, and then, you know, maybe Jason like, no, like can kind of like, well, obviously he knows more about this than I do, but you know, is, is, is like the next stage then where it's like, okay, well, we're going to like take away these jobs where you have, you know, not a lot of union rights, but at least like some union rights and some kind of like pathways in terms of establishing uh, like collective action and collective bargaining. And we can say, well, you'll have these like great new jobs at the Google warehouse and the Amazon warehouse, and you'll get mm. paid a lot more than you do like working for the council of the undisclosed location I live in. The, the, the trash future image of this is a guy in a high vis wearing like an HTC Vive uh, VR headset and just like emptying <laughs> a virtual bin. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Make work virtual jobs. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I don't know. I there, there was the, uh, the idea of like a bin, a, a virtual bin man simulator actually does sound kind of fun. Yeah, we're streaming that Sunday. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm just I'm, I'm all tabbing back and forth between uh, the notes for this and virtual bin man simulator. <laughs> <laughs> so I mean the the bin question is is a really interesting one. I think we can dive into that. That that's a great it's a great entryway because there are these smart bins everywhere. And and 
I mean, part of that is because the smart bin is a great representation of how the smart city actually exists right now, not in this way that like sidewalk labs or, you know, the the kind of grand concept designs of a total system of systems. Um, but in a lot of ways, it's much more piecemeal. Uh, it's much more incremental. And it's these things like smart bins, because a smart bin is is a perfect encapsulation, right? It's it, it, right. it's It's a way of replacing a thing with a smart upgrade of it. It's a thing that is filled with sensors. Um, It it comes with all these efficiency gains or promises rather, right? So it's the idea that you can take the the ages old um, kind of trash collection uh, route. You know, they come once a week at the same exact time, empty the bin, whether it's it's empty or full or overfilling, and you can make that a just-in-time operation. You can collect every every bin at the moment that they are um, three-quarters full so that it's, it's the most optimized and efficient. That's mm. that's the idea behind it. And I, I think you're you're right, Hussein. I mean, that does open up all these, like, flow-on effect questions of, yeah. you know, does that mean that we have 10% uh, of, of the trash collection force that we did before. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, I, I mean, sorry to interrupt you. I was just going to say that like, um, you know, again, there's lots of kind of like councils, especially like in poor areas of the city where, you know, the amount of like trash collection has gone down considerably. Right. Um, and you know, that's because of like council cuts and, you know, the way that things are looking like post coronavirus, you know, a new wave of austerity is going to come in where, uh, you know, that's going to like get cut down even lower. So it sort of makes sense that like tech companies would move into like particular areas. And I think you'll, you've spoken about this um, on other kind of shows and everything where like tech companies do come in and they say to the council, but look, we can like make your, uh, we can make your process. Make you an offer to do the sanitation sanitation. You're trying to have a smart city. You're going to need some wise guys. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> oh God. I don't, Just I, Andrew, I, I don't, oh, Andrew I don't even think that's that far. I don't even think that's like that far away from the truth. I think there is that thing like we'll take over your whole sanitation network and like we'll make it really cheap for you. And all you need to do is just like let us kind of have some access to some fiber optic cables and don't ask any like big questions. It's a bust out. It's a bust out by poorly to five G network, right? Like. (laughs) In 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 my uh, like in my role as senior like dumb guy praxis correspondent here, uh, I will note that they put in a smart bin with like a solar panel on it in on my street in my secure undisclosed location, and within a week somebody had like kicked it over and then set it on fire and they had to replace it with a dumb bin again. Yes, so, <laughs> jo- Johnny Sacks guys. Yeah, absolutely. it was Philly Leotardo. It was Johnny the search engine. <laughs> Uh, who would have thought this would in have a happened way, on the watch of Mayor Davy Scatino? <laughs> in a way, Hussein has completely presaged the next step for Sidewalk Labs, though, as well, in, in that they so they've spun out this new holding company called Sidewalk Infrastructure Projects, or SIP. Uh, and, and their whole idea is that basically this, this idea that they tried to do in Keyside was too ambitious. As, as Riley was saying, you know, the technology just wasn't there yet. So what they've decided to do instead is move into 
um, quote, you know, we're not trying to offer up futuristic versions of the city, but rather to identify infrastructure that towns already need and then help build it. In many cases, this will be in the form of unglamorous but sorely needed facilities. So they're talking exactly about things like recycling facilities, trash collection. So that, that's, that's where they're moving into the kind of base essential operations of the city. And this and the thing is, right, this is you were saying uh, as well, Jathan, like this is what they have always, always intended to do. And they did it and their different companies have done it differently at different times. Where I use, We talked about how IBM and Cisco did it in 2008 as consulting services. But then... Um, and, and this was, is, again, yeah, a bit after he did the thong song, of course. <laughs> <laughs> and, but, and, and this was basically saying, hey, we're going to come in. And we're going to learn, we're going to help you surveil and control. And by the way, we get to also have this data, everyone who lives in your, in your city. Um, and you have to because your, your budgets are at 30% what they were, but your bin collection needs, your growing city are, if anything, higher. Um, yeah. So yeah, it, we're it, going it, to be able to square that circle. In collection, and I get to keep your toenail clippings in this old chemotherapy wig with fair and square. <laughs> this is the, this is the like this <laughs> It's like this vertical integration of infrastructure too, though, because the the smart bins as they exist now as this kind of like ad hoc solution um, that the city buys and installs. Everyone that I've come across, every planner I've talked to, um, talks about how these bins have not actually worked the way they're supposed to because a lot of times they're installed by like the strategic planning department or the parks department, but that's a different department than the sanitation and, and, and trash collection department. And they have their own routines. They have their own ways of doing things kind of ingrained um and they're and they're not going to change just because some you know stupid piece of technology tells them when to collect the bin they say no i tell you when i collect the bin um mm -hmm. and and so they haven't actually delivered these like efficiency gains but what they have done is uh allowed uh, planners and stuff to, to better do enforcement. Like I, I remember talking to a strategic planner um, in a city about, about this and he was like, yeah, it hasn't really uh, caused these great efficiency gains in the trash collection. But what it has done is allow us to um, catch illegal dumpers because we, we reckon we, we can see through the, the sensors that this bin is filling up way faster than it should be. So we stake it out and we find people illegal dumping. So it, 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 it works for enforcement, not efficiency. I love to do the bin stakeout. Yeah. <laughs> bin stakeout. Like just the lowest of the low of the cops. And again, this, and this, again, this fits really well into the, into the Sopranos paradigm. This is just like, people fighting over who gets the Barone sanitation roots. <laughs> yeah, um, the guy, I phone up the guy at City Hall. He tells me I got my roots, but I gotta let the bin tell me when to collect it. What am I gonna talk <laughs> to a bin Ooh. on a fucking phone? What am I, some kind of fucking mook? Some fucking bin is telling me when to pick it up. What the hell? Would Tony Soprano ever let a computer tell him shit? No. He no. tells the computer shit. Absolutely. Johnny the Johnny the trash can's gonna come round here. You knocked that fucking lid off. <laughs> no, um, the thing is, also, it's real. It's really telling, right? That management thinks they can. That the relationship between management and worker here, where the worker in the city is treated as at best an inconvenience, who is there to be optimized and hopefully automated away as much as possible, and what they might know about, say. 
where to how to pick up bins in a particular park by doing it is just sort of hand waved away as not real knowledge. Whereas mm. this data that's able to be produced by a smart bin and analyzed in some kind of like you know bin cybersyn is a, is that's considered to be real knowledge? <laughs> Look, there's there's yeah. two there's two ways of emptying a bin into a truck. You get a guy to like move the bin and put it in the truck, or you get fifty McKinsey freaks to like a minutely examine everything that's in the bin and catalog it, and then like devise a system for like trying to convince it to get into the truck itself. <laughs> yeah, you get Pete Buttigieg to read a poem to the bin over Skype in faltering Arabic. <laughs> and if there's any if there's any justice in the world, one of these bin collectors comes and dunks Buttigieg into the smart bin and closes the lid. Inshallah. <laughs> but uh, I think it's it's important, right? Where you can see that, like hidden underneath this very seemingly simple thing of a slightly more automated bin collection system, is a way to crush labor and empower the cops. And it seems quite innocuous. That's my motto. But when you look at when you look at a smart city, right? When you look at what it does, it's aiming to make the city more efficient. Well, how does it do that? It does it by taking the skill and independence and control and in many cases the jobs of city workers away from them, puts that control in the hands of like consultants or Google freaks. And then what it does is it gives that, centralizes that information and shares it with the police and national security apparatuses. And in order to and all of that is done so that then um, you know, Google or whoever is then able to uh, essentially use that information to sell, to sell products back to you. So it's a, it's a, it's a scenario in which, you're, as a citizen, the best thing you get out of it is your best possible thing you get out of it, assuming everything works well, which it doesn't, is that your services continue uninterrupted as they were, or maybe a little bit smoother in ways you don't notice. And everybody else gets the whole fucking Sunday. Yeah, that's mm. that's a really important part too. Is that it's it really is this like pittance, this marginal upgrade that we get um, in return for, as you say, the the police having like you know getting most of the benefit. The plan is getting most of the benefit. I mean, the the perverse part of Alice sitting there playing the virtual bin simulator is that she's actually just training an algorithm to put bin collectors out of work. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm I'm gaining I'm gaining the valuable skill of driving the bin emptying drone for which I will be paid nothing as I already am, because I'll just do it recreationally. And, and there's a reason, right? We we always talk about bins. Uh, and that's because Trash the, Future. The title of this episode is gonna yeah, have to yeah. be Trash Future. <laughs> it's in the Just name. With a space this time. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so right, so the reason is is that the thing that most of these smart city planners think of, the first thing that comes to their heads, and they say, Okay, what can we give people in order to what what service can we automate that they don't want to do? I've got it. Bin collection. That's always the thing. That, that 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 sort of leads on a lot of these smart city projects I've found, with the exception of Neom. Mm-hmm. It's 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 so it's been just real quick. It's been collection and it's parking, but you're totally getting on the the point that what it is is about making your experience of the city marginally better. It, it, it we're still talking ultimately about the Simpsons gag where the hobo turns into a post box, right? Like. <laughs> 
Well, they would be absolutely right with starting with Bing Collection if they were doing this in the UK, because I think Bing Collection in Britain, at least, is like the fundamental culture war neurosis of the like oh, hardline Tory. It's like, well, it all went wrong when the genders came in and then they stopped collecting the bins <laughs> once a week. That was where it started going, because if it weren't for the European Union, we could have had the bendy bananas that fit in the bins and they collected once a week. My banana bins overflowing with the bendy skins. I'd forgotten about this whole shit. You don't see it as often now, because, like, I guess society has progressed past the need for it, but there was a whole genre of post of, like, uh, Tories getting furious at their councils for, like, I don't know, slightly changing the bin collection arrangements. Mm, love bins, simple as. Love bins. <laughs> <laughs> don't like it, there's the bin. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you won't be collecting anytime soon, no, mate. In there a while. <laughs> <laughs> so like I may, maybe that would really lead here in america it definitely would be parking but those are the two those jay you're right yeah those are the two things that the smart cities often offer they offer bins parking and then police cops cop zone damn the classic trifecta yeah <laughs> <laughs> don't knock it you can get out and then there's the big <laughs> cop the parking cop and the cop cop yeah, <laughs> just just like increasingly converging towards the Half-Life 2 bit, where all trash collection is done by Gordon Freeman because a cop knocks the can <laughs> off the top of the trash bin. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, anyway, um, I think like, if we want to be we've, let's, we should be a materialist about this, right? Or at least we should be individual materialists about this. We shouldn't all try to be one materialist. Which is that, <laughs> yeah, j- just join into one corporeal being, yeah. We're we're going to form like Voltron into no, we're one... Gonna, we're going to do the master from Fallout. Like, yeah. that's fine. No, Stop so, saying we're materialists. You're going to really piss off our Cartesian dualist listenership. <laughs> um, so I think we, we should understand the smart cities, as, the whole smart city thing, as not dissimilar from any other tech company thing, where it's the same story of emergence, where just like Uber and Airbnb and the sharing economy and gig economy, it actually was just invented to like you know profit from the situation of the financial crisis and people being more desperate. Um, that it is there largely to siphon off public money into private pockets. It's just it's Google and uh, Cisco and IBM and so on. It's got the same business model where it operates as a loss leader, then it extracts monopoly rents uh, from the data it can monopolize. If it can't do that, then it just scams a bunch of venture capital or, or sweetheart real estate tax deals out of this or that um, fund or government. And that most of the step changers from innovation go to either policing security or law enforcement or working around building health and safety regulations and so on. And all the consumer gains you get from it are totally marginal. Just like with Facebook, like, yeah, we got Clearview AI, but you also got to play Farmville. Yeah, and like, not not just marginal, but marginal in a way that only affects, like, uh, software developers, basically. Like, yeah. you, those are the only people who are going to notice or care about the improvements. So, Jathan, mm. you, you've got a very good sort of materialist understanding of technology. I think it's worth pulling out of that. Yeah. So, I mean, I think this is one of the, the, the main mistakes is, I mean, it almost goes back to the, the question of how people are reacting to the 5G towers and so on, is that if they just had a better materialist understanding, they would know what, they would direct that anger at different people for different reasons, right? And it really, the materials kind of theory or analysis of technology is really about 
looking at what's behind the technology, the kind of, you know, whose interests are being materialized through that technology, what values are being prioritized through that technology, and what, what kind of, you know, kind of larger structural imperatives are driving or, be, or, or is that technology being plugged into. Um, so much of our kind of analysis of technology is this vulgar materialism. It focuses on the, the kind of the, the myopic, short-sighted, what's right in front of you, the algorithm, the device, the whatever, and it never looks further behind that. Mm. Or it does it in like a really insulting surface level way, like the Chinese are doing 5G to us, right? Because Huawei is like uh, involved in the infrastructure of that. And that's the, that's the power analysis that I'll apply to this is China versus everyone else. Mm. I mean, that's perfect too, because if you have this materialist understanding of technology versus that more kind of like nationalist understanding, then it requires you to understand that all of that stuff that you're afraid of that's happening over there is probably already happening right where you are right now, mm -hmm. right? So like oh, yeah. all this all the stuff around like the social credit scoring system in China, things like that, it's like all of that is innovation that was uh, created in the West. I mean, we, you know, if if you live in the U.S., you you have a FICO credit score that completely dominates your access to employment, to housing, to job, you know, to to a, a lot to credit. Um, but for some reason, people are, are are unable to kind of acknowledge the waters that they swim in, and instead they get afraid of China or this thing that's happening over there. Well, I'm glad we don't have to deal with that here in undisclosed location. <laughs> I mean, a lot of it is also a lot of that is also just because like exist like institutions sort of like obscure all that, right? So the idea that like yeah. you know yeah, so like even though even though you can definitely argue that um, like credit score systems in the US and like you know to a big large extent in the UK are just as dystopian as like anywhere else, it's the whole idea that well you know if like. Metro bank is like denying you a loan, then you can like, you know, you have the freedom of choice to go to another bank and get rejected. And you have a freedom of choice to go to another bank and get rejected. Whereas in China, there's only one bank, which I'm not even sure is like entirely true, but it's like one thing that I've seen with um, like, not necessarily tech evangelists, but like tech apologists and media who mm -hmm. sort of like elevate the status of tech of, as being like this, like liberal, like this force of liberal, uh, what's like a force of liberation and one which kind of expands the nature of like market choice, which is, as we all know, just like a fallacy anyway. Um, yeah. I mean, right. it's this perverse thing that at least the tech evangelist, when they, you know, when, when, when they evangelize for the technology, they're doing it because they have a lot to gain from, from that. The tech right. apologists have nothing to gain. They're doing it for the love of the game. <laughs> <laughs> they're doing it for the yeah. they do they're doing it for the merchandise because you know fair play to Facebook like you know the hoodies are pretty good and you know they have three different strands of nylon. <laughs> well, here's the thing, right? Where this is where I think we have to talk about tech evangelism for a sec before we move on to what's happening in New York because I think it's time for one of these. Here's a really boring thing that's incredibly important that you need to know about, which is how procurement works. Mm, so, the boredom zone with Riley. Yeah. <laughs> I love this part. Oh, so, I prefer the um, swim zone. <laughs> so the way that a lot of these, um, the way that uh, uh, that that uh, large companies and uh, and municipalities and stuff, the way they buy things, it's it's very structured but very limited. So usually, what they'll do is they'll say, "Okay, here's our procurement policy. 
if we're going to spend upwards of, say, X pounds or, or engage in XYZ thing, the following oversight systems will be kicked in. Let's say we're going to have to have like five different vendors and we're going to ask them the same questions and score them according to these preset criteria. And then we're going to have them submit proposals and review yeah. them and this so on is, and so on. Th these are the meetings that you have to go to if you are a local activist and you want to stop your local smart city, right? Yeah. Is you, you have to be uh, like, uh, you have to be uh, familiar with these kind of like procedural things that are extremely boring. This is an article you pointed me to, Jathan, by Bianca Wiley, who you mentioned earlier, who's talking about tech procurement. And she's talking about how these are um, these are systems designed for municipalities to buy like snow plows, right? To buy, you know, or even like something like asphalt or paving service. <laughs> you, you are fully bonded and licensed with the city, aren't you, Mr. Plow? <laughs> <laughs> uh, right? So but that's what these systems are designed for. And the their policies are based on comparing uh, say cars. They're comparing one car to one car and to make a decision on on these bases. But when they're asked to procure technology, or more more importantly, when like a tech evangelist comes in and bamboozles them with a bunch of fancy, you know, AI talk or whatever, they simply don't have the policies in place to to critically look at this stuff and weigh up all of the factors about who's actually going to benefit, how's this investment going to work, what's it going, what are the impacts going to be environmentally, socially, uh, financially, and so on. Okay, final question, Mr. Google. You say you did this smart city thing for Ogdenville and North Haverbrook. <laughs> did it, would you say it put them on the map? <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and so this is actually a, a quote from uh, Bianca Wiley's article, right? Which is that public technology procurements, uh, with public technology procurements, governments continually conflate growing the tech sector of their own constituency with being consumed by it and outsourcing and automating public governance. And that these technologies are often proposed by very slick tech salespeople to cities racked by austerity, trying to keep find ways to keep it ticking over at greatly reduced levels of income without increasing taxes, and that these technologies are being proposed into sort of areas where they don't have procurement frameworks, they don't know what they're buying. And so these, these meetings will basically be someone from Google saying, don't worry, I can promise to make all your problems go away, don't ask too many questions. I think it also like it, it can be more malign on the part of officials than that because this is exactly what happened in South Bend, right? And we know Pete Buttigieg wasn't being bamboozled by these people. He was just like, yeah, no, this is good actually. Yeah, well, I, I guess I could I could say then like uh, to to get this more accurate, you could say at best mm -hmm. a well-meaning public official is going to be bamboozled, and oh, well-meaning yeah. public officials can be rare enough. I hate it when my local councillor, Barry Piss, gets fooled by the guy from Google. <laughs> I mean, yeah, if, if you have any concerns with, like, this dystopia we're creating, you can put your concern, you can write your concerns on a piece of paper and put it in this smart bin, and it will, and, and, it, and it'll address your problems for you. It's a very smart bin, David. <laughs> the machine vision will automatically read it, transmit that data to our servers where it will sit forever. <laughs> yeah, it's, the best way, it's, honestly, it's the best way to get the people with most power in the city to look at something it's to put it in one of the smart bins <laughs> yeah, to ride it in pig's blood on the outside of the council building <laughs> parody <Yeah. laughs> do not do that <laughs> but you're, you're, you're you're totally right, Riley. So the procurement process is uh, um, um, immensely important. It's also one of the most bureaucratic and unsexy parts of doing urban governance, but it's a foundational aspect. And 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 
you know, you're you're talking about that at best. Uh, they the government officials get bamboozled by it. I will say that in uh, my experience, largely here in Australia, where they do have a very different kind of system and and relationship between different levels of government that has largely acted as like as a shield from these big corporations being able to get their their foothold in here um the some of the planners i've talked to here i think they have the best kind of reaction to this which is essentially a very like hard-nosed no-nonsense pragmatic approach where it's like no we want to solve um problem x and so we are looking for a highly specific solution y to do that and so anytime uh um you know, a company comes in and tries to sell them everything, um, tries to, as, as one planner I talked to says, I'm not interested in the digital bling. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, you're telling me this but, is a smart bin, but it can't operate a simple grill? <laughs> <laughs> Wrap off me bin. I respect that immensely to just be like, no, I am buying a snowplow only. Uh, do, do not sell me a unified snowplowing solution. Yeah. yeah. And it's, it's to, to my experience, it's the only surefire strategy for not getting suckered into stuff is that as soon as they start trying to sell you stuff and, and, and uh, you know, lay out these big visions of what the city's going to look like. You throw them out onto the sidewalk, right? Because you say, I'm not, I don't trust you anymore. You're trying to, you're trying to grift me. Um, I'm going to go find someone else who will actually give me what I want. And that's really how planners have to act. And here's oh, yeah. the thing, right? You, we talk a lot, or we have in the past talked quite a bit on this show about the Preston model. That's also essentially just a procurement framework. Like, we cannot emphasize how important uh, government procurement, especially at a local level, is to this kind of thing. It also sounds um, like a lot of these procurement schemes and like the, the things that they try and sell to these cities are so like completely mad that it would be hard to discern between them and like a news of the world fake shake expose. <laughs> Like the only difference would be that in the second scenario, the guy would be saying, "Could you say that into my hat more often?" <laughs> um, so, also, look, I, I want to move on a little bit, right? Because if we want to look at what at, where, at what's happening, at what's happening next, you can always look at um, at, at New York City because in New York in 1970, oh. that was the test bed for austerity. Like that's where austerity was born. As 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 like yeah, as Adam Curtis showed us. Yeah. Mm. So what we can do burial is we begins can, okay. playing. Well, what's uh yeah, Nate, cut in burial here. <laughs> uh, what's New York doing right now to sort of begin to patch its public infrastructure wounds that have been ripped open by coronavirus? And quite simply, um, uh, uh, Andrew Cuomo has has convened a kind of expendables of just the most odious nerds in the entire world. Uh, Mike Bloomberg, the, invent the guy who invented broken window policing, is going to be administering networks of cameras that will monitor everyone who comes in contact with everybody else so that they can do contact tracing. So thank you, Mike. Well, Bill to, Gates, to, be, to uh, be fair, Giuliani did broken windows policing. Bloomberg gave it the technocratic sheen and respectability politics. That's, that's absolutely right. Uh, Bill Gates, uh, a guy who invented his own kind of math so he could sell um, 
uh, Microsoft surfaces to school boards uh, throughout uh, the US and Africa um, is going to be doing remote learning, which is basically a teacher union busting program. Uh, but we're going to focus on, today on Eric Schmidt because he has had this wish list of municipal data that he's wanted to monopolize for years. And he's tried it about three different ways now, at least, that, I, that I'm aware of. He's done it by trying to do sidewalk labs. He's done it by doing fear-mongering about China and saying that China's doing this and that the U.S. has to like step up its AI game. So like, if you look on his Twitter, he only posts NatSec shit about how China's closing the AI gap and you need to put Google in every city so that like they can... Um, they can uh, so that the U.S. can close its AI gap with China, so China hawkishness. Mm. And now he's saying it's the opportunity for uh, New York to uh, get over its pandemic while in- improving its services and reducing its spending. <laughs> get over its pandemic. <laughs> <laughs> We've been having a little uh, pandemic-related issue over here. Mm. And the thinking here, right, is to allow te- these tech companies to reconfigure New York so that it will continue functioning in the pandemic by networking and automating everything that can be networked and automated, and then continue functioning after the pandemic at about 10% of its budget, but with its services, if anything, uplifted by all this wonderful technology. So it's exactly the same story as Sidewalk Labs. Exactly the same. Just faster and bigger. Mm. Hmm. That's good yeah, though, because it's it, it's like it's not confined in one neighborhood, so you can't like use those procurement things as effectively against it, and you're just stuck like trying to like take it to city and state officials, who, as we know, are extremely responsive and like extremely not dickheads. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, no, it's great. It, it's like when the the henchmen all fuck up, and the boss has to step in and say, "Ah, it takes a real man to get this job done." You know, he's mm. he saw sidewalk labs mess up, and now he's like, "Nope, daddy has to come in and save the day." <laughs> um, right. So I've got a few quotes here from Eric Schmidt, uh, and this uh, so this is taken from several sources, including uh, Naomi Klein's article in the Intercept, uh, the Screen New Deal, which is a good piece of writing. Mm. So. Uh, Here's the first one. The first priorities of what we're trying to do, Schmidt said, are focused on telehealth, remote learning, and broadband. We need to look for solutions that can be presented now and accelerated and use technology to make things better. Hmm. Uh, And uh, Klein goes on to say that lest there was any doubt that the former Google chair's goals were purely benevolent, this video background featured him framed by a pair of golden angel wings. <laughs> <laughs> what the fuck? The, the face when you do no evil. <laughs> so I actually think Naomi Klein is wrong here, and Eric Schmidt is about to embark on a very lucrative new career as a feature dancer at Stringfellow. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I, I love Adrian Veidt cosplay as much as the next girl, but like, it really is a little bit much. Yeah, I love to go to the uh, to the smart spear mint rhino, where uh, they can tell how much of an erection you have at any one time using a centralized data bank. Yeah, that's right. The same fifty McKinsey guys who are monitoring the bins also have a feed to the boner fan smart spear mint rhino. Yeah. yeah, they can tell if you're about to bust and automatically deduct your credit card. I love to be a bin and nut. Boner cam is the handshake meme between the weird the weird McKinsey guys and Jackass the movie. <laughs> right. So here's the so the, let's think about those priorities, right? So telehealth, remote learning and broadband. Why focus on those, Jathan? Uh, I mean, why focus on those is because that's where 
Google has the capabilities to actually do something about them, right? They they have the technologies and they lay the infrastructure exactly going back to the point before um, they lay the infrastructure for completely rejigging the operations. I mean, if you can, if you can, uh, up, you know, upgrade, quote unquote, the health system, the education system, and the network infrastructure system, then what, what left is there for you to get your claws in? Mm. Well, and also, once you control those systems, it becomes very easy to have quite a big, big voice in what happens in them. Mm. You know, mm. maybe, um, your, maybe your history of South Asia focuses a lot more on how great the railroads were and a lot less on the Bhopal disaster. Yeah, well, I mean, it's it's just yeah. shock doctor and stuff. And I was going to ask whether we think Naomi Klein gets bored of being right so often, uh, because <laughs> <laughs> like it, it's more or less just explicit now that it's like, huh, this this coronavirus thing, it's going to completely like we, we have a long pause and then we get to totally remake uh, healthcare or work or telecommunications completely in whatever image we want. And that's mm. like explicit in all of in all of this Google stuff. And it's like, well, yeah, she wrote the book about this, uh, and no one listened. So yeah. I I don't know what else what else we can be expected to do other than uplift the guys who think that five G is turning the frogs gay. This is the logical endpoint of the whole smart city strategy since it kind of kicked off in two thousand eight, right? Is that while I mean to to Riley's point, you know, they didn't really have the technology to actually build what they were saying. What they were doing is they were getting their they were putting their ideas on the table, right? At the risk of evoking uh, Milton Friedman, like you know, saying "Bloody Mary" in the in the mirror, uh, Friedman talked about how. Um, only, when, when crisis occurs, the actions that are taken depend on the ideas that are laying around. And his whole goal was to ensure that his were the ideas on the table. And that's exactly what Schmidt has been doing for decades. It's exactly what these technology companies have been doing. And lo and behold, the crisis has come and their ideas are on the table. Well, well, listen, I'm coming here to your city council office. I'm walking down the street. Your city is in disarray. You got no money. You got problems with your bins. I'm walking in here. What do I see? Not a single fucking gay frog. You tell me if that's coincidence. <laughs> um, so I've got a quote here. Uh, two things. Number one. Um, so, Jathan, I also listened to your... Because um, you did uh, Truanon recently, and you spoke with uh, Brace and Liz about... Um, about the 5G more broadly. And mm -hmm. one of the points that Liz made was one I kind of want to bring up here as well, um, which, is that, which is that actually this is less about the shock doctrine, which is about the imposition of forcing things through. And it's much more about, again, another, another book that's a sort of a favorite of mine, I think was the first Kami book club, uh, was She Evoked Psychopolitics, which is by Byung-Chul Han. And it's all about how, no, these te new technologies of power they're not coercive. They're seductive. They promise you that it's going to make everything easier if you just give yourself over to it. And I, I think that's a very a better way to look at it as I, than purely as, as a shock. But give because, yourself to the smart bin. Because the thing is, right, Schmidt is, is um, in, in Katrina, like in the New Orleans response, when sort of the shock doctrine was formulated, the people imposing the shock doctrine were talking about assistance and recovery and stuff they weren't talking about um using the shock as an opportunity and now that the shock has happened again eric schmidt said this is a quote 
we can take this terrible disaster and accelerate all those um, and accelerate all of the good things that will make things much, much better. My view is that these moments are a chance to revisit things that are not getting enough attention, and we have the systems that need to be updated. So oh, in effect, crisis unity. <laughs> so in effect, right? In effect, right? Uh, I, I, I have this sort of a pet theory that has no support at all, but by other than the fact that I just think it, which is that we always, which is that we always, we never use the language of the thing that we're actually doing. We tend to look back into the past. And so while Schmidt is actually doing psychopolitics, he's using the language of the shock doctrine. Mm. My, my pet theory. <laughs> I mean, I think, I think Liz and, and, and that whole line of analysis is completely right because that, it, it's right there in the language, right? You're talking, you're talking about solutions. Um, you, you're talking about making things better. It's always kind of cast in this positive tone. And um, we're going to update and uplift these systems. But, and it's really easy to get seduced by that. And it's really easy to focus on that. And that's what the kind of tech apologists are doing. That's what um, the people like Cuomo, who absolutely loves um, Schmidt and Gates and Bloomberg, right? They get sucked into that. Um, because, I mean, on one hand, they're either directly benefiting from it in some way, or they're not taking that materialist analysis and pushing further back, right? They're not looking at what's actually being built into those technologies. Um, it, this is the whole neutrality thesis that these companies uh, you know, have on speed dial, basically, which is that the technology is just in-user agnostic. And that's completely bullshit, right? Because there's politics, there's values, um, there's interest being built directly into these technologies, into these new infrastructures at every single level. And so even if we were to somehow seize the the, the new infrastructure away from Schmidt, away from Google, um, they've already been designed for a certain type of society. They've already been designed for certain types of governance. And we can't just flip that by, by flipping a switch. That is like, oh, I'm but a simple country data farmer. Oh, no, I could not possibly. <laughs> I could not We're possibly begin to hypothesize about what people will be doing with my products. That is a matter for the end consumer. I mean, we, <laughs> we, sim we simply have to get in there and we turn the racism switch to off. Yeah. Um, yeah. So the thing is, right, also, you know, Cuomo, uh, you know, he's, he, well, I, I have this here uh, of how he talks about Schmidt. Uh, Jathan, you, you were mentioned earlier that he, he loves Schmidt. He says he's the best mind in the country, if not on the globe. <laughs> and I've noted here in my notes that Cuomo talks about tech billionaires the way that Trump talks about generals. Oh, fuck, that's true. Great <laughs> oh, central casting. Uh, <laughs> because like the thing is right you have to, you have to remember if you want to understand america it's that republicans their most like registered republicans most trusted figure is the president followed by the military and then and with the, the democrats the democratic party is not even high up there the the most trusted institution is amazon I, I want to draw your attention to a picture that I remembered vividly. I just had like a a, a fucking like a, or a, a quasi seizure remembering this. Eric Schmidt at Burning Man in like 2012. Oh my and I've god! Posted this, uh. I've posted this image in the Zencaster chat for your edification. Maybe we can make it the episode up. But he is wearing, uh, oh, yeah. uh, like 
what I can only describe as a steampunk top hat. <laughs> oh no! Like desert goggles, oh, and then like a, no. a disco ball vest. And, and I'm he's like, ready for his feature dance at Stringfellows. What's yeah, up? Absolutely. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, that's a shirt and like a cashmere jumper. And I'm like, yeah, like that's a grandfather. That's the greatest mind in the world. One ticket. Um, one ticket to Bergheim, please. <laughs> <laughs> Cuomo's just a sapiosexual, and I can't stand for this king shaming. <laughs> uh, that, is, that is, like, we've talked about the intelligence haircut. That is the intelligence outfit, is when you have, right. like, a top hat with a lot of gears on it and some goggles. <laughs> Eric Schmidt pissing in the guy's mouth in the Burkai toilets going, and now that's what I call a smart toilet. <laughs> so I've, got, I've got a couple more quotes by Schmidt here, though. He says... But every American should be asking where we want the nation to be when COVID-19 is over. How could the emerging technologies Alive? be deployed in the current crisis propel us into a better future? And then, like, you could answer that question with, where do we want to be? The cool know, zone. Yeah, we want to be <laughs> somewhere in control of our own destiny, things of that nature. But then Schmidt sort of answers that question as totally unsurprising because, you know, he's a billionaire. He says, companies like Amazon know how to supply and distribute efficiently. They will need to provide mm. services and advice to government officials who lack the computing systems and expertise. And those two things are not connected at all. Hmm. Yeah. Listen, no I'm not going to use the words white slavery. I'm just saying we could innovate in the labor market. <laughs> <laughs> right, but he said, the fact is, right, like the, that these that the the these political set, we've said it a billion times, the political settlement of the last 40 years has been a retrenchment of the state. These companies come in and fill the gaps left by the state. And then the people planning for the future say, well, only those companies know how to do those things the state doesn't do for whatever reason. So those companies are going to need to play a bigger role in all of society as the state continues to shrink, as it, of course, must. A lot of a lot of it yeah. is also just like ob like ob like ob uh, obscuring through technology, right? So it's kind of you know I've seen this kind of happen uh, in the UK where you'll have like politicians be like, well, you know, these people know how to code and they know how to like you do JavaScript and stuff, so they must like know how to kind of run public institutions really well because I can barely switch on my computer without like accidentally pick like posting a picture of my dick. Um, and I think that like when you when you kind of think about it that way. Like it's all, you know, this is also something that tech companies are very well aware of, which is why their PR, you know, their PR arms and their like legal arms are so beefed up because they sort of know that they can like obscure, they can obscure like the kind of, they can, they, they, they can kind of like grasp their power through these own like micro institutions that they have inside until they get so big that they may like, you know, they almost like engulf again, and they also engulf like public institutions that have been repeatedly cut by austerity, global austerity throughout the past decade, right? So even just by like, like in terms of size, tech companies like tend to have way more leverage than really big national governments. And sometimes they accidentally say the quiet part loud. So, I mean, I remember I first became aware of Sidewalk Labs in, in April 2016 when the Wall Street Journal wrote a, a kind of, you know, puff piece about them. But in that piece, 
uh, they, the, the journal reported, quote, Sidewalk was on a mission to find places likely economically struggling municipalities grappling with decay where it could take over districts and turn them into places heavily integrated with technology. So there you go. I mean, right from the very beginning, the whole mission of Sidewalk Labs um, and of the, the kind of smart city trend in general was to find places grappling with decay, economically struggling municipalities, because it, it was like finding the, you know, the injured gazelle in the savanna that they could then pounce on. Mm. Turn into a small and gazelle. Once they, and once they pounce, right? <laughs> Turn it into a cyber gazelle. <laughs> and once they pounce, then so, and let's keep with the bin collection example. And once they pounce on bin collection, bin collection may run better for a little bit, but the mm. profit they make out of that bin collection has to grow, and it has to grow by a certain rate at least. So you have to get the VIG. And so, you know, yeah, maybe uh, people don't throw out as much. Maybe uh, you wanted to go with something different for bin collection. Maybe you want to hire some people uh, because, you know, no one has a job and you want to give people jobs as bin collectors. A- Amazon or Google says, fuck you, pay me. Hmm. You know, it's a way of treating bins as infrastructure as a service, right? Because now if you own the bins that are dotted all around the city, those are infrastructure points. Those are points where you can put sensor arrays, where you can put 5G cell relays, right? Those all of a sudden become much more than a bin. They become a light pole, which is now strapped with all kinds of uh, infrastructure that then allows you to build on top of Suddenly I mean, reminded of that, like one of those smart city ideas that I think the backlash, the initial backlash was too much, and they backed off of it. Of just giving Wi-Fi hotspots to homeless people so that you would have yeah. Wi-Fi coverage wasn't from try- the wasn't nearest. Wasn't that as hobo? South by Southwest? That yeah, 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 it was. It been, yeah. It was. <laughs> Here's the thing, right? This has been a very season two, season one, excuse me, episode, right? Mm. Uh, we, yeah, we, we say why the thing is bad, right? Yeah. And here, the last bit I'm going to read to you from Eric Schmidt, this is going to bring it screeching into season three. Mm -hmm. Uh, The benefit of these corporations, Schmidt writes, which we love to malign in terms of the ability to communicate, Mm -hmm. the ability to deal with health, the ability to get information is profound. Think about what your life would be like in America without Amazon. And that people (laughs) should, and then he goes on to say, people should be grateful that these companies got the capital, did the investment, and built the tools that they were using now, and have really helped us all out. Thanks, Amazon. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, it's the um, not menacing so it's at all. Tony, so, so it's like Tony comes into your office to do the bust out, and then you, Davy Scatino, you got to be fucking nice to him. You got to mm-hmm. say thanks, Tony, for busting out my store. Exactly. It's a, I mean, it's a, imagine- real, it's a real pleasure and honor, sir. I, I love being busted out by you. <laughs> what would your life be without fucking Wobistics? <laughs> <laughs> That's it. It's the mafia, but it's no longer enough that the mafia can like break your legs and take your money and charge you interest and control your life and treat you with impunity. They mm. want you to thank them for it. Hmm. Well, I mean, they always did. It's just it's it's the mob with a more irritating aesthetic. Yeah, you don't get to hang out with Frank Sinatra Jr. and like a bored <laughs> yeah, right. Like, g- give me the Italian boomers who are like listening to Sinatra and grilling while like while the FBI are in the bushes outside because that's real music over the guy in the fucking like steampunk top hat. Yeah. When is when <laughs> I mean, is Eric Schmidt ever angrily eaten ham and then passed out because he's angry at his daughter for dating a black guy? I reckon yeah, never. never. 
<laughs> to to bring this all full circle, I mean, back to Riley's point about um, sidewalk felling because the the five G infrastructure wasn't there. A city councilor in Sydney once told me that she feared the smart city would arrive, would really arrive in Australia. But I think the point applies more widely um, through partnerships between telco companies and property developers because they'll own the infrastructure, they'll own the data, and they'll shape the built environment to fit their interests. Right. It'll be uh, it'll be this next generation real estate play, but it'll be like building 5G, but exclusively to benefit fail sons like Donald Trump Jr. Right. Oh, uh, sweet. Oh, so so then. Yeah. So don't worry. They've got a way around the de- po- the Democratic oversight possibilities afforded by improved and robust public procurement uh, st- infrastructures. Yes. Mm. Property developers have entered the chat. Season <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> three, everybody. <laughs> we love season three. We love it. No, we love it, folks. That's the thing. Okay, so season here's the thing. Remember, going season, very well. Season three summary is we've already stepped off the ledge. We've reached mm. terminal velocity, so it feels like we've stopped moving. The bombs in our pockets of all the reverse factors <laughs> supply chain started to go off, and then we just land nuts first on a 5G mesh that's jutting out the side of the building, <laughs> and then we slowly <laughs> slide off of it and then continue to fall down. Yeah. <laughs> It's great. That's awesome. Going fantastically. Cool. No problems here. <laughs> we can land in a smart bin, which will be collected yeah. in a timely fashion. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh, Milo, we have a lot more building to go down for a while, my friend. Oh, does that mean? Does that mean that in the smart city they can build a smart twin towers and they can get destroyed by uh, Osama Smart Bin Laden? Yeah, that's right. That's exactly Techn- it. Technically, nine eleven was a just-in-time supply chain style event. Look, they could have they could have automated nine eleven uh, had only they the five G technology to do so. <laughs> but, look, the, uh, the twin five G towers. That's right, that's right. But look, hey, we've um we've been going for a for a good amount of time, so I think. I am about ready to uh, say, Jathan, thank you very much for coming on. Where can people find you online, and what books do you ha- currently have for sale? Mm. Oh, it was a, it was a blast. So I'm I'm on Twitter at Jathan Sadowski, um, and currently, Riley, you, you've given me too much credit. I only have one book on sale, but it's uh, a but it's a it's a fantastic book, That's a it. beautiful the book. Podcast. <laughs> we, we, we are all seen. going back to Winnipeg. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Im- imagine uh, only writing one book. Uh, uh, so, on, tell us about your one book. <laughs> <laughs> so yes, please, please pick up a copy of my of my new book called "Too Smart: How Digital Capitalism Is Extracting Data, Controlling Our Lives, and Taking Over the World." Uh, it just came out in March, and it talks about all of this stuff, um, plus a lot more. Oh, fantastic. Sweet. And also, if you're listening to this, you're already a Patreon subscriber, so thank mm-hmm. you. And um, we are, just a little reminder, that the Trash Future stream is every Wednesday, Thursday, and Sunday from 9 until 11 on twitch.tv slash Trash Future Podcast. Uh, that you also uh, can still get one of our remaining t-shirts by Matt Lubchansky. They feature another skeleton, mm. and they're a great way... They feature uh, another skeleton. <laughs> <laughs> and they're a, a great, great way to way learn about your body. Yeah. To learn about your body, and crucially, to prevent other people from learning about your body 
uh, mm. by wearing a shirt over it when you go outside. Yes. Cover, Cover up your, your shame. shame. Yeah. Yes, exactly. <laughs> uh, so I think if um, I think that that takes care of everything, right, Milo? You usually have a memory of this other than the theme song acknowledgement. Yeah, yeah. It's normally just shirts and, uh, you know, uh, just try and live another day. Oh yeah. man, no, no more, no more show dates. It makes me. I'm getting some. Yeah, fuck. R.I.P. to getting the comedy some, industry. Some, I'm feeling a lot of an emotion called draft, uh, which is <laughs> actually a Dutch. It's actually a Dutch cleaning product, but it sounds to me like the word sounds it's to a me Dutch like cleaning it product. Rub it on your face. It, just, it sounds to me like it describes a feeling of listlessness. Yeah, well, um, it's got the dread in there that implies dread, but also yeah. drift. Yeah. So, yeah. Oh, yeah. continental I'm drift. Feeling, it's made in Netherlands. I'm feeling a great deal of drift right now that we don't, can't. That we just don't have any live shows to look forward to. We're living in an eternal present. So, hey, why don't you buy yourself an eternal present with a Trash Future shirt? Or oh, give beautiful. your ears, or give your just ears a little present. To be eternal. <laughs> or giving your ears a little present uh, by listening to "Here We Go" by Ginseng on Spotify mm. early and often. Yeah. Or your uh, eyes I'm a little present by going and looking at Barnard Castle. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> um, all right, so uh, thank you very much again to Jathan, and from our family to yours, have a good one. Mm-hmm.